I've got a friend. His name is Dan. And Dan is a longtime pastor. He's been at it now for much longer than I've even been alive. And I've met with him several times and had the privilege of gleaning from him over the years. But one of the things that I most appreciate about Dan is something he, I've heard him repeat, a phrase I've heard him repeat over and over again, chair time, he calls it, chair time. Whether it's first thing in the morning or maybe it's the last thing in the day after all the chaos and noise has come and gone, chair time is a time where he just sits with Jesus. And he usually hears God say something along the lines of, hey, Dan, this is who I am. And this is who you are. Rest in this. Chair time. And there have been a few times where I've been maybe a little bit stressed, a little bit over over the top, anxious over some things. And if I'm meeting with him and he'll sense it, he'll ask me something like, Hey, Peter, what's God been saying to you in your chair time? Well, good morning. Welcome to Heart of Life. Nice wave. Welcome to Heart of Life. My name is Peter. I'm one of the pastors here. And we're glad that you've chosen to join us today for our own chair time of sorts. As we sit with Jesus and hear from him who we are and who he calls us to be and what he calls us to do. And this morning's message is part two in a little mini series we started last week. So if you missed last week, you're going to want to go back online, check that out. But as a quick little review for us, I want to take a look at this diagram together that we started with last time. So we pointed out how in life, it seems that there are two ways of living entirely selfish and self-centered where it's all about me, myself, and I, Or on the other side, we talk about a selfless life where it's all about other people and and I start deleting myself away to be less than who God has made me to be. And we realized, recognizing this, that there's actually, this is not the whole picture, there's something more. And we considered an alternative approach with two paths. One of self-discovery, this incline of self-discovery, discovering who God has called us to be And then self-denial, discovering that we need to lay that down for other people. We saw this from Luke 9, 23, where Jesus calls us to deny ourselves, but we realize we can't deny what we don't know. We can't let go of what we don't realize we're holding on to. And so we start, we, we dug last time into a tool of discovering how God has made us to be with a tool called management by strengths. And management by strengths describes four ways that humans seem to show up in our world. The four are directness, extroversion, pace, and structure. Directness, extroversion, pace, and structure. And we even took note of how God seemed to have made it a point to share his gospel through four different voices. Sure enough, four different personalities so that we would get it clear in our minds Just a little review, direct people are action-oriented, right? They get things done, like Mark, who wrote the first gospel to hit the market, 
shortest gospel. He skips past all the fluff of like the birth of Jesus, which feels like a big deal. Skips right past that and goes straight to God uh, calling him his son and all this kind of thing and the baptism and exorcism. Mark gets to the point. Direct people get to the point. And then there are extroverts. Extroverts uh, tend to interact and express through many words. It's all about people like John. John, who wove these seemingly disconnected ideas together with his eclectic mind, he just said, I don't care about chronology, don't care about timelines. He's trying to convey these themes through storytelling. And then there's pace. Pace people are time conscious and harmony oriented like Luke, who lays out his gospel so smoothly and is the kind of person that could hang tight with a guy like the Apostle Paul, who seemed to push everybody else away. And then there's structured people like Matthew. Matthew, who they dot every I, they cross every T, they proof text and they check and they double check themselves more than anybody else because they've got to do it right. So directness, extroversion, pace, and structure. Four ways of seeing and interacting in the world. Is it any surprise then that we all just can't get along? Because how often have we said it like this? It's not what they said. It's how they said it. But that's not even the whole story, is it? It's not how they said it so much as how I heard it. Personality is this lens through which I interpret what others say and I start loading what I think they mean into what they may not have meant. And next thing we know, there's conflict and there's war. When you've got these four ways of interpreting the world and all the possible combinations that come as a result, it's no wonder there's so much breakdown in communication because we have these different priorities and these different values, honestly, all based on the good way that God has made each of us. But the problem is when we take our good way and we elevate it to be the only way or the primary way, and then we start saying everybody else is wrong. Which is why Jesus says, if you want the life that is found in being his disciple, it starts by denying ourselves and taking our cross up daily. And so we took some time to discover how has God made us, not as an end to itself, but as a step along the way to more truly and more accurately deny ourselves as we choose to love like Jesus said we are to love, namely by laying ourselves, by laying our souls down for other people. The apostle Paul makes this exact same point in 1 John three sixteen when he says, Jesus gave up his life for us. That word life is suke, soul. He gave up his soulish life for us so that we also would give up our soulish lives for our brothers and sisters. See, without this self-denial piece, all of our self-discovery quickly becomes distorted into an excuse for behavior of this is how I am, deal with me as I am, work around me. But that's not where life is found. Life is not found when we're in the center of the universe. Life is found when we follow Jesus. And he says, you will not find your soul until you lose it for his sake. 
until we deny. So we're going to be taking a look at this together by examining four examples of Jesus interacting with each of these four personalities throughout his time on earth. And wouldn't you know it, our people-loving extrovert, John, is the one who includes these four accounts. And so we're going to turn there, if you will, John chapter 1 to start with. As we do, we're going to identify what the traits of each person, what they exhibit, and then we're going to identify how does Jesus interact? How does he, what are the keys of self-denial we see in Jesus that we can then implement ourselves as we interact with others and learn to love our neighbor? Sound good? First, Nathaniel. He's our direct type. Uh, Nathaniel, this is in John 1, verses 45 to 51. Now, I intentionally chose not to put these texts up here. I want you either to listen with your eyes closed, imagine the scene, or have a Bible out in front of you. But here we are, John 1, 45. Philip found Nathanael and told him, we have found the one Moses wrote about in the law and about whom the prophets also wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Nazareth? Can anything good come from there? Nathanael asked. Come and see. Philip said. When Jesus saw Nathanael approaching, he said of him, Here truly is an Israelite in whom there is no deceit. How do you know me? Nathanael asked. And Jesus answered, I saw you while you were still under the fig tree before Philip called you. Then Nathanael declared, Rabbi, you are the son of God. You are the king of Israel. And Jesus said, you believe because I told you I saw you under a fig tree. You will see greater things than this. And he added, very truly, I tell you, you will see heaven open and the angels of God ascending and descending on the son of man. Some quick highlights. Nathaniel is pretty direct, wouldn't you say? Philip's like, we found Jesus. He's from Nazareth. And Nathaniel goes, Psh, what good comes from there? Like, that's just, he says it like it is. In fact, that's what Jesus is saying in verse 47 when he calls Nathaniel an Israelite in whom there is no deceit. He's like, this guy does not mince words. Nate calls it like it is. He doesn't beat around the bush. No cap, as the kids say these days. And in response, Jesus doesn't beat around the bush either. He gets straight to the point too. So a couple takeaways for self-denial when you're interacting with a direct person. Don't let their candor spook you. Don't let how to the point they are or short they are spook you. If they get argumentative, don't back down, stand your ground. Proof is in the pudding when it comes to a direct person. Proof is in the pudding. That's why Philip says, Philip knows his friend Nathaniel pretty well. He's like, this guy's not going to listen to anything I say. Just come and see, he says. Just come and see it. Okay. Proof is in the pudding. And lastly, tie it to the purpose or the big picture. That's what Jesus does at the end when he says, you think me telling you I saw you under the fig tree is impressive? Man, just wait and see all the things you're going to see. Like that's nothing. It's beyond your wildest imagination. So Jesus meets Nathanael right where he is, and he does the same thing in our next example, which you find now in John chapter 4. 
This is Jesus' conversation with the extroverted Samaritan woman. The woman at the well, John chapter 4. And you, as soon as Jesus runs into her, they begin a conversation. Extroverts tend to be the people who can start a conversation with anyone. You know you're parenting an extrovert when it's 5 in the morning and they walk in and they start talking. Why won't they just leave me alone? We sometimes think with extroverts. And I have a feeling Jesus might have had that thought after a long day of ministry. It's noon, it's hot, he's trying to get some water, and instead, now he's talking. And there's all this back and forth uh, and conversation about worship and about history and about the Messiah and about her personal life. Just all these conversations. Read through the chapter on your own sometime, and you will be amazed at how many different subjects they touch on throughout this single conversation. And by the end of it, the distracted extrovert rushes back home to talk with her friends and family about this Jesus she met, and she left behind her water pot. The very reason she even went to the well in the first place. So some keys of self-denial when you're interacting with an extrovert, as seen by Jesus. Interact. Converse back and forth and be willing to follow the rabbit trails. This is their eclectic mind putting the pieces together. Next, tie it to relationships and to people. Make it about the people in their life. Uh, verse 16, Jesus tells her, go to call your husband and come back. She says, I have no husband. And Jesus says, you're right when you say you have no husband. The fact is, you've had five and the man you now live with is not your husband. Nijay Gupta, in his book, Tell Her Story, opened my eyes to the fact that we actually don't know who this man is that she's with. There's no indication that it's a romantic relationship, though it's assumed and talked about as such. But in fact, knowing what we know about that day and age, it's very possible, it's, this is a theory, but it's possible that she had been widowed five times and is now living with her brother who is caring for his grieving sister. What I'm saying is when you're interacting with an extrovert, take note of the pain beneath the smile. The pain beneath the smile. Think Robin Williams, making everybody else laugh, but deep down he's in pain. Going straight into the pain point might embarrass a non-extroverted person, but not an extrovert. Like before the chapter is out, she literally goes to tell her whole town, guys, come see the man who told me everything I ever did. Like she's not ashamed. In fact, she feels known and she's bragging about it. Extroverts are not afraid of the spotlight. In fact, they kind of savor it. Take a second to think about this. Is Jesus direct or is Jesus extroverted? He spoke candidly and shortly with the direct Nathaniel. And now he's interacting freely with the extroverted Samaritan woman. So which is he? Hold, hold that thought. Hold that thought we got two more conversations to consider. In John 9, we find our pace person, the man blind from birth. And as I read the story, I invite you to close your eyes and watch the scene play out. It's really a beautiful one. And as we do, as we listen to the story, 
You can open your eyes if you want to jot down any notes of like, oh, this is where the man is being paced, or here's how Jesus interacts with him. Just write those down if you want, but otherwise just really imagine the scene. See, as Jesus went along, he saw a man blind from birth. His disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Neither this man nor his parents sinned, said Jesus, but this happened so that the works of God might be displayed in him. As long as it is day, we must do the works of him who sent me. Night is coming when no one can work. And while I am in the world, I am the light of the world. After saying this, he spit on the ground, made some mud with the saliva and put it on the man's eyes. Go, he told him, wash in the pool of Siloam, meaning sent. So the man went and washed and came home seeing. His neighbors and those who had formerly seen him begging asked, isn't this the same man who used to sit and beg? And some claimed that he was, and others said, no, he only looks like him. But the man himself insisted, I am the man. How then were your eyes open, they asked. And he replied, the man they called Jesus made some mud and put it on my eyes. He told me to go to Siloam and wash, and so I went and washed, and then I could see. Where is the man, they asked him. I don't know. He said, and then the Pharisees, they step in and begin to investigate because this healing took place on the Sabbath, which was the day that nothing was supposed to get done work-wise. But verse 17 picks up and it says, then the Pharisees turned to the blind man. What have you to say about him? It was your eyes. He opened and the man replied, he is a prophet. And they still did not believe him. And back and forth it goes. They go back to the parents, the Pharisees do. Then they go back to him in verse 24. And it says a second time they summoned him, the man born blind. Give glory to God by telling the truth. They said, we know this man is a sinner. And he replied, whether he is a sinner or not, I do not know. One thing I do know, I was blind, but now I see. Then they asked him, what did he do to you? How did he open your eyes? And he answered, I have told you already, and you did not listen. Why do you want to hear it again? Do you want to be his disciples? And then they hurled insults at him and said, you are this man, this fellow's disciple. We are disciples of Moses. We know that God spoke to Moses, but as for this fellow, we don't know where he comes from. And the man answered, now that is remarkable. You don't know where he comes from, and yet he opened my eyes. We know that God does not listen to sinners. He listens to the godly who do his will. Nobody has ever heard of opening the eyes of a man born blind. If this man were not from God, he could do nothing. And to this, they replied, you were steeped in sin at birth. How dare you lecture us? And they threw him out. Jesus heard that they had thrown him out. And when he found him, he said, Do you believe in the son of man? Who is he, sir? The man asked. Tell me so I may believe in him. And Jesus said, you have now seen him. In fact, he is the one speaking to you. Then the man said, Lord, I believe. And he worshiped him. And Jesus said, for judgment, I came into this world so that the blind will see and those who see will become blind. Throughout this whole chapter, the man is very short in his responses up until the end. He talks about listening a lot, doesn't he? 
You didn't listen. You didn't listen, he says that. He notes how the Pharisees were not really paying attention. And at times, he repeats back to people all the things they had said, followed then by a gentle challenge to their thinking. All of this points to a pace personality. Even the longer response at the end, when the pace person finally does open up and speak, they often have so much to say because they've been listening all along. So when interacting with a pace person, self-denial looks like this. It looks like listening. You could say to a pace person, love is spelled L-I-S-T-E-N. Listen. Maybe you can say it's spelled T-I-M-E, time. Don't rush, slow down, linger. And lastly, be proactive. Proactive with a pace person. Because sometimes in order to avoid causing conflict, pace people will downplay themselves and their own value and needs. They don't want to waste your time. So you need to check back with them, just like Jesus did at the end here. And it's a key way of building that relationship. And you do this by setting times and dates and events together. Get it on their calendar. Then it'll be in their life. Last example, we've got our structured person, Nicodemus. Nicodemus, uh, John chapter 3, 1 through 21. Nicodemus is a Pharisee. He's a teacher of the law, very structured personality. There's a right way and a wrong way, and I'm going to do the right thing. And this conversation is basically a series of Q&A. It's question and answer, question and answer, followed by more question and answer, and then a little more question and answer. Nico, I'm going to call him Nico. Uh, Nico refers back to the law several times. He asks how, he asks why questions. And when something doesn't make sense, like when Jesus says, you have to be born again to enter the kingdom of heaven, it doesn't compute with Nico's system, right? Why? Well, there's two reasons. First, Nico is seeing it literally. Structured people tend to see things as literal and factual. How can you be born? How would I enter my mother's womb again, right? So that's the one piece. But the second is this. When the meaning does become clear, that to be born again is to be born from above, to start over for the Holy Spirit to do something new in you. You have to throw away all of your record of rights and wrongs before That's hard for a structured person to believe. Structured people love training. They love tradition. The idea of throwing that away is frightening. So throughout the conversation, here are some keys of self-denial from Jesus. First, answer the questions and the objections. Answer them by proof texting with the structured person's book. See, what Jesus does is he constantly refers back to the Old Testament because that was the authority book in Nico's life. If you want to converse with someone who is structured, you need to discover what is their authority book. It may not be a religious book. It might be what a certain news channel says. It might be what their friends say. It might be what their parents think. What is that authority book in their life? And you learn that language and speak that language to them. It's also worth noting that this was not a one-and-done conversation with Nico. See, Nicodemus, as a Pharisee, would have likely been part of all the future interrogations of the Pharisees to Jesus. And so Jesus knows this is one conversation. We've got many more to go. Structured people will ask their questions. They'll go back and they'll think about it, and they'll come back with a half dozen more. 
This is part of the dialogue. Be prepared for multiple encounters. And in the end, remember, many structured people are not won purely through winning an argument, but it's through a winsome character. Right? If my character is trash and my arguments are great, that doesn't matter. If my arguments are good, but my character is on, then I have the ear of a structured person. So let's return to the question we asked earlier. What is Jesus's personality? Is he direct? Like when he spoke quickly and candidly to Nathaniel? Is he extroverted? Like when he interacted down every rabbit trail of the extroverted Samaritan woman? Is he pace like the man born blind or is he structure like Nicodemus? What's Jesus's personality? We don't know. We don't know. Jesus literally gives us no indication to his personality. Why? Because whoever he was talking with, he found a way to adapt and meet them right where they are. Even his interactions with God, he models all four for us. Watch this. In terms of directness, Jesus said he could only do what the Father does. Regarding extroversion, when wasn't Jesus interacting with his Father? In terms of pace, Jesus regularly makes time to pull away and spend time alone with the Father. And regarding structure, he says, my food is to do the will of my Father, meaning God gets to set the parameters and the structures of his life. What's Jesus' personality? It depends who you ask. Because he's always adjusting and adapting and laying down who he, he is in order to be there for who he's with. And it's the very same for us. How? It's what we saw last week in John 13, knowing all that the father had given him, Jesus is able to lay that down and then pick up the towel. Self-discovery, self-denial. But understanding his own, by understanding his own design and regularly taking time out of his day to be filled full in God, he could then go and pour it all out when he's with other people. And it's the very same for us. Pull up, pull up that graph again. This is why it is so absolutely crucial that we engage in both the self-discovery and the self-denial. Because if we jump straight to self-denial, what happens is we, we don't understand how we've been made to be filled full. And so we then go into our interactions with people and we start trying to fill ourselves from those. We subconsciously seek fulfillment in those relationships and we starve those people of all meaning and we suck those people dry by forcing them to do and be for us what they were never able to be for us. But God, God is a reservoir full enough not to be drained by any one of us. 
God is a well deep enough that whenever we draw from him according to our own needs, he doesn't reject. He doesn't push us away. But he fills us full that we then can go and empty ourselves out for the world. And so if you're running dry, trying to live out this lifestyle of self-denial, knowing what we know now in terms of our own self-discovery, here's a quick 411 on how to drink your fill in Jesus. Direct, you've got to act with Jesus. See, talking to the direct people here for a moment, while at least half the church may seem content sitting around in a circle talking about the Bible or arguing about their particular interpretation for it, you want to go do something with it. So act. Go do something with Jesus. This is how you fill yourself full as a direct person. Where are their needs? Go meet them. Fence needs mending, missions trip, justice and mercy ministries. Matthew 25, Jesus says, whatever you've done to the least of these, you've done it unto me. You will find Jesus meeting you there, filling your cup full when you join him in what he is doing. And then extroverts, where are y'all at? This is the quietest bunch of, there's like four of us in here. Extroverts, where are y'all at? Yeah, okay. There really are four of us. That explains so much of the dynamic in this room. You guys are like, this means so much. It's inside. I want to like, I need the four of you extroverts to give me some interaction. Guys, come on. That's great. That's great. No, extroverts, here, listen up. For you, it's about interacting with Jesus. Interact. Yeah, that can happen in a quiet room at 5 a.m. with your Bible and your journal, but you know where it really happens for extroverts? In the everyday moments of life. In the little... Amen, sister. Side note, remember last week I gave you guys that survey and I said, take this survey and all that? We had like 25 people have taken it four of them extroverts, and the only four emails I got were from the extroverts. (laughs) Extroverts interact with Jesus in the little conversations that you get to have with God along the way. That is where you find yourself being filled full. I love how one extroverted friend of mine put it. One day he's gardening and a plant of his is not doing too well. And he sensed the Lord saying, you know, you can talk to me about the plant. And from that moment onward, gardening became this powerful, sacramental almost experience in his relationship with Christ as he interacts with the master gardener himself. If your pace, withdraw. But listen to me. Withdraw with Jesus. I'm not saying withdraw into your phone. I'm not saying pull away from the world. I'm saying pull away with Jesus. How many times was Jesus saying, come to a quiet place with me? 
One pace friend I know said that although he knows conceptually that God is with him at all times, it's usually when he's stuck 30,000 feet in the air or when he's up in a tree stand or when he's on a long road trip that he finds God meet him there. There's something about pulling away from the hustle around you to get to a place where you find Jesus is there with you. And then from there, you're able to bring Christ back with you into the noisy world. And if you're structured, align with Jesus. Get into alignment with Jesus. Don't be afraid of establishing a rule for life. By a rule for life, I mean having a set of parameters that you live within as it relates to your walk with Christ. That may be fasting, that may be Bible reading plans, that may be prayer, daily prayer prompts, whatever it is, those things are good. But also you'll discover, be open to Jesus blowing up your paradigm sometimes because he tends to do that. But notice that even Paul, the apostle Paul, who I believe had a lot of structure in him, he encounters the risen Christ while on his routine. There's something to be said about having this and then God showing up in the midst of it, even if it's to blow it all up. So have those things to allow you to draw principles from, to then align your heart with Jesus so that when you meet the chaos of this world, you are not quite so shaken. So act, interact, withdraw, and align with Jesus. That's 101. If you're a direct, act with Jesus. If you're extrovert, interact. Pace, withdraw, structure, align. That's level 101. You want to know what the next level is? Try one of the other methods. If you're an extrovert, try withdrawing. It's painful to think about. But some of the most life-giving experiences I've had have been pulling away by myself, not on my phone, not listening to music, walking slowly through nature. And all of a sudden, what would work for a pace person starts to do something in my heart. Or if you're pace, try interacting with God in the ordinary as well as in small groups. Like with all the noise, all the chaos, try You'll find a couple things happen. One, you'll find it's outside of your norm, but you will find that God meets you there too because he's everywhere. We may have certain practices that are downstream. What I mean by that is like even a dead fish can go downstream, but a living one has to fight hard to go upstream. It's a sign of life when we try one that's against our personality too. Uh, Direct, try a Bible reading plan. Now, a little life hack for the direct people, goals matter. So set a goal to read it in two years and then do that. And you'll actually achieve both your personalities thing and also reading the Bible in a year. But that's just an example. Try one against your personality. Because as we lean then into the self-discovery in our relationship with God, we will find that we are filled full for self-denial in our relationships with others. As we lean into God and have him fill us, we can then pour ourselves out. So this is why we need to, where where do I tend? Let me lean into that. And let me practice some of the other ones so that when I'm with somebody, I can just lay it all out for them. 
As Jesus was able to meet everybody right where they are, you too will be able to do that. Not demanding that they bow to your needs, but able to readily pour yourself out for others of what you have been filled full with in Jesus. And this brings us all the way back, back to the beginning, back to chair time. I told you about Dan how this is a time for him where he would sit with Jesus and, and hear from him of who God is and who he is and just learn to rest in that. Well, he's not the only pastor I know that prioritizes chair time. I'm talking about our very own pastor, Jeff Funderburg. Jeff, can you come up here for a minute? So I've been around the pastor world long enough. And I just want to tell you, in a world where pastors so often try to one-up each other or posture themselves to look bigger than they actually are and be perceived in a particular way, I have never seen this man fall for that trap once as long as I've known him. He's often the first person in the room or the last person to speak because he's made it a priority to listen. I'm going to have you come here. My notes are over here and I want to get this right. <laughs> he knows my trick. He's like saying over here. No, man. No other individual has taught me more about what it means to be a pastor than Jeff. And that's because he has learned what it means to find his fold in Jesus so that he can lay it all out for the people with him, the people around him. <laughs> I can't tell you how many times I've extroverted all over this poor guy. <laughs> And then he's all paced and just like takes it in and listens and listens and listens. And then he's like, okay, now let me point you to Jesus. He's probably done that for a lot of us in this room. And so with it being Pastor Appreciation Month, as a way of saying thank you um, for the many ways that you just lay it out for everybody. And as you lean into Jesus, um, Heart of Life wants to gift you this rocking chair. Handmade by somebody in the church. Oh, wow. Wow. Want to try it out? Yes, I do. (laughs) Yeah. You may have noticed there's some artwork behind you. I did not make the chair, I promise you. (laughs) Um, But uh, I didn't paint those things. And uh, here's what it it is. Uh, Basically, we've got three scenes from the day, different times of the day represented here. And in the middle, that Hebrew word is Shema. Shema, which means listen. And it's the Hebrew word from Deuteronomy 6, where God says, listen, And then for the very first time, he says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, which is just the series that we're in. So Heart of Life, let's give a quick show of appreciation to our pastor, Jeff. Come around. Come on. Come around. That's fine. 
That's fine. Come around. Let's make this stage crowded. That's cool. Let's do that. I, you guys, half of you, half of you are seeing the irony of this. Poor Jeff is like mortified in this moment. <clears throat> yeah. You guys come on stage. It's okay. Come, come. Cause I want to, I want to close out our time with a prayer of blessing over our pastor, but also a prayer for each of us as we leave this place that we would prioritize chair time where God fills us full in who he is, but then that we would go and be able to lay it all out for others. Yeah, come on up. God, we thank you. We thank you for who you are and how you never leave us dry. We thank you for Jesus and the ways that he has saved us from our sin and that he sets us on a new path. And Lord, I thank you for this flesh and blood example in our lives of Jeff who seeks to emulate his savior and ours. Lord, he prioritizes this. He's not looking for accolades. He's not looking for this. And this, frankly, is probably killing him inside, which is just one more way that he's laying it all out for everybody else. But Lord, we thank you for this man that you have called to pastor our church and that you allow us the grace of getting to know him for all of the ways that he continues to lay himself out for others. When dreams go dashed, when grief is palpable, Lord, would you continue to fill him full in you? So Lord, we bless you and pray that you would bless Jeff, bless his family, bless the sacrifices that they continue to make, Lord. And Lord, I pray for each one here each of us being your missionaries in this world, that as we seek to deny ourselves and take up our cross daily and follow you, God, would we do so seeing the shape of the soul that you have crafted in us, that we would find its fill, not in this world, but in your world. That we would find it not in ourselves, but in yourself. That we could then readily lay it all down for your sake. And in so doing, would we find that our souls are in fact saved. This we ask, Lord, in Jesus' name, and all God's people said, amen. You are dismissed. Through green pastures.